You're listening to the Up in Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upinfrisco.com. He's so good. I, I love that moment in worship when you're singing of his goodness and his beauty and he flips it back on us. And you're singing, you're wonderful, you're faithful, you're lovely. And he's like, you are too. And he does the, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you sing to me bounces off of me and sticks to you. <laughs> he's just so self-giving, self-revealing, other-centered. He just, he can't help himself but to love on us. When we give him a moment, when we, when we choose to put our attention and our affection on him, it's like he can't wait to reciprocate. So um, at Upper Room, we minister to the heart of God through worship and prayer, morning, noon, and night, and we experience his presence transforming us. And it's just good. It's been so amazing to see the experiment of Upper Room find fertile soil in Frisco. And we've, um, we've been just intimately knit together with so many families and friends and we're experiencing, so many people are experiencing deep friendships with one another and with the Lord. And that just makes me real happy. So last week we introduced all of the small group leaders. And it was so much fun. That was last week, right? Time just flies. Um, and we ended up worshiping for like an hour and a half. It was so much glory. Who was here for that? Whose legs were a little bit sore the next day from dancing? Did you see Casey in his dance moves? It was amazing up here. We were spinning around. So much fun. So much freedom broke out. So anyway, we worshiped for an hour and a half, which meant that I just kicked the, the message to the side because what we really wanted to do was introduce all the small group leaders and feature them, hear their hearts, when they meet and why they meet, so that people can get plugged into family. And um, but I wanted to um, I wanted to talk about why we gather and what a gathering of saints really looks like. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter two. If you guys are familiar with this chapter, you'll know that it's about our namesake, the upper room the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And, um, and I want to learn from the early church tonight and how they did life together. Um, but before we jump in, I want to say something. Yeah, we, the, the first century church is so amazing and so powerful that sometimes we have a tendency to romanticize or idealize what was going on there. And it is amazing. It's so cool, the birth of the church, but we don't want to lose sight of the fact that God birthed something that would grow and mature and improve, right? And many of the decisions and things that they dealt with back then were just simply things that we don't deal with today in, in terms of the, the persecution, which, thank you, Lord, we live in America and God continue to increase the peace of our land, you know, but they, they dealt with persecution. They had, they were for fear of the Jews. They, they went from, you know, house to house and like <laughs> they had to sing, but singing loudly could end their lives. Think about that. That's some worship that costs you something. That's an offering of praise right there. If you feel the Holy Spirit and you're loving the Lord and you're like, I could shout out the name of Yahweh right now, but it might mean the end of my life, but here we go. You know, like that just, <laughs> that level of glory and presence on that church. Woo! feel the Lord already. 
Um, there are so, there's just so much gold to, to be found in returning to the purity of devotion and the power present in the church during that, that first century after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And so in Acts, Acts 2, you know, this, we're going to start in 241. I'd love it if it was up on the, the screen. Um, this is after the 120 holy ones were waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, receiving power to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit came like tongues of fire in the upper room and rested on each disciple. They were speaking in tongues. The whole town thought they were drunk, and people from every nation were hearing the saints testifying to the glory of God in their own languages. And Peter addressed the crowd and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. In other words, he's saying they're not the type of drunk that you're thinking. <laughs> and so then Peter launches into this really amazing prophetic testimony of Jesus. He just unpacks Jesus from, from Scripture. And, um, and that brings us to uh, where we're at in Acts 2.41. It says, we can just read it, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's power. That's just, that's amazing. I, there, there, there are moments that, like when I get to the next phases of glory, I want to ask God, can, can we just rewind and like play the whole DVD set? And I really want to watch this moment unfold, what it looked like when the Holy Spirit rested on each of the 120 disciples like tongues of fire and, and the, the mighty rushing wind, the sound that's so loud that it draws in the whole town. And, and they see, I mean, 3,000 people added to their number that day. And this is actually a reverse of um, what happened at the Tower of Babel. The people gathered in one place. They all had the same language. And they said, we're going to build a tower. And we're going to be like God. Nothing's going to be impossible for us. And God confused their language that day and scattered the nations. Well, what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out for the first time? All the nations just happen to be gathered in Jerusalem at one place, and every nation heard one language, declaring the glories of God. And it was the inauguration of God making all nations one again, making one new man out of many nations. Isn't that incredible? Whew. Okay, so moving on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Keep going. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Keep going. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Incredible. Something, <clears throat> something I wanted to mention. This, this isn't in my notes, but I just want you guys to know what kind of body you're part of. 
Um, during the, the lockdown, the, the coronavirus pandemic, um, we started a, a fund for people who came into financial struggles and trials because of the virus. You know, people who lost their jobs or, or whatever. And, and there was a system set in place where they could apply for, for that benevolence. And from this body, there's been over $20,000 given to people in need. And we've received so many <laughs> emails and letters of people just so thankful to be part of a body like this. And it's just beautiful. And it's, it's, it's just a, um, it's a small part of what that, you know, what that verse is like. We're experiencing the blessing and the power of God. We're experiencing abundance. And when people have need, we're doing our best to try to help them. Isn't that so awesome? Oh, he's so good. Okay, so um, question. Can you put um, verse 242 back up there? <clears throat> what were they devoting themselves to? Shout it out. Breaking of bread and prayer. So the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship. The breaking of bread or, or the Lord's Supper or eating, to, eating together and to prayer. But can you back up another verse? Go to back to 241. Oh, wait, no, it's not 241. It basically says that they were continually together. And I don't think it's this translation, but it says, and they were continually together devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so they found every opportunity to be together that they could, which is just awesome. They had a tight-knit community. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayer. And um, what was everyone feeling? Do you remember in in the verses? It says that everyone was feeling a sense of awe, gladness. In other words, they were happy. And they were experiencing sincerity of heart. And since they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, and everyone had a sense of awe, gladness, and sincerity of heart, what was taking place all the time? Many signs and wonders many signs that make you wonder. And many people were being added to their number every day. So they they couldn't help themselves but to gather. They you know, we're, you know, we're not just united to God, but we're united to each other, like the hypostatic union. We are actually like one. We are the body of the Lord. He is continually knitting us together in greater degrees and more and more intimacy and more and more effectual, you know, effectiveness together. And so they, they just had to get together. There were so many examples of churches uh, meeting in homes during those days. First Corinthians 16, uh, there's Aquila and Priscilla held church meetings in their home. There is a church that met in the house of Philemon in Philemon 1-2. There are multiple house churches in Rome mentioned in Romans 16. And they just loved one another. They loved on, one, on each other. And they took care of people whenever they possibly could. And, um, you know, I think that we've, we've all wrestled with questions as to, are we loving God or are we loving people? Or what's more important? What, do we pri- prioritize loving God or do we prioritize loving people? Or what, you know, 
what one needs to be higher, and is it slightly higher, and like when do I say no to, no to people, and I want you guys to know that sometimes when we try to distinguish between loving God and loving people, it opens us up to a world of confusion, because we're really just supposed to be love. John quotes Jesus and says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. See, when I read that, I, feel, I also feel like there's a warning in there because I know of so many people, including myself, we've had seasons where we get so calling-focused that instead of laying down our life for our friends, we lay down our friends for our life. And it's a sad day when you realize that those relationships were actually your calling, that those deep friendships were the very thing that God entrusted to you. I mentioned Bob Jones earlier. One time Bob Jones died and came back to life. I think that happened twice, three times, twice. Um, his gravestone says, gotcha this time. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Bob. Um, so anyway, um, he, he dies and he goes into this spiritual experience and he sees all these people lined up before Jesus, um, you know, waiting to go into the next phase of eternity. And, and they're all asked one question by Jesus. They stand before the Lord and the Lord looks them in the eyes and says, did you learn to love? And I know that that's, that, that's not a Bible verse, but it's the summation of all Bible verses. Because the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is the same. Or Jesus saying, I, I give you a new commandment. Love people. Love people really, really well. And I think that um, this is in the Bible for sure. You know, we're going to be seeing people saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? And he's going to say to a lot of people, sadly, you missed a million opportunities to love me in person. When you saw someone who is broken, someone who is in need, someone who is naked and needed to be clothed, someone who needed to be covered, someone who needed to be visited. In other words, what you do to, to the least of these, you do to me. First John says that if you love God but hate a human, you're a liar. That's intense, right? And awesome at the same time. It says, if you love people, love's made perfect in you. There's nothing to make you stumble. If you sincerely love people, there's nothing in you to make you stumble. See, sometimes we, we fall into the idea that all we need is a Bible in the wilderness. We'll just, just me and God, just we, we kind of like romanticize the idea of just being stranded on a, on a desert island with the Lord because Christians. And um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but Adam had that, didn't he? Adam had what we all romanticize and idealize. He walked with Yahweh face to face in the cool of the day. He spoke with the creator. He spoke with the father. He spoke with love himself. He had it. He had it, y'all. And God looks at the situation and says, this isn't good. You're still alone. 
and he made someone that he would have covenant with, and they made other people. And the Lord's intention was that, that in connecting with people, we would be connecting with him also. I grew up going to lots of church, and I'm talking like Sunday mornings, sometimes Sunday evenings, kids' church, revival meetings, outreach, youth groups, home groups. And so it was normal for, uh, for me to have a lot of people who were friends that were as close as family. Or, and, and people that could speak into my life and people that could help keep me from making a, a huge mistake when my parents weren't close enough to help. And um, I knew what it was like to worship God. Like from the time I was a little kid, I knew what it was like to worship God in a place of unity with family. And I saw outpourings happen. I saw miracles. I heard people speak in tongues. I make people uncomfortable when I say this, and so if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but I was speaking in tongues before I decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> That's just how I grew up. Like, I saw people prophesy, lay hands, and miracles. It was just normal. That's how I grew up. And um, I would often fall asleep in my bedroom hearing the sound of my parents singing praises with other adults in the living room. And I knew what the corporate anointing felt like. I knew how it felt when our room shifted from the time I was a kid, and it was just an amazing way to grow up. I had spiritual dads, spiritual uncles. I had brothers and sisters. Like, we, we need, it, it takes a tribe, right? It takes a village. Like, something that gives me so much hope and comfort is that I know that I can't, I can't do it alone. I can't keep my kids on the path alone. And so I'm surrounded by people like Casey Hahn and David Lucht and Vincent. And <sighs> y'all, we have a family. We have people that help bring up our kids together. Like this is the tangible beauty of church. Church isn't just spiritual, it's, it's physical. Uh, my wife and I, we've, we've led church and home gatherings for more than a decade, and I want to tell you that when holy ones come together to gather regularly, it is so beautiful, and it is so messy, <laughs> and it's sometimes awkward and weird, because you've got people with varying degrees of maturity, varying stages of their, their, their walk with the Lord. It's manifestation station, you know? It's people manifesting the Lord. It's people manifesting anything that they've been trying to hide for a long time because they finally come into a place of, of power where that stuff has lost its ability to hide. You know, it's a good thing to manifest that stuff because it means the power is increasing in your life. And that's, that's what small groups are for. It's to be known, like when shame entered the world, we put on clothes to hide. So a celebration of shame being broken is that we figuratively take off our clothes and reveal what's going on inside. Us celebrating shame is letting people in and seeing, celebrating the end of shame, I should say. You know what I'm saying. Huh. We have people who gathered that were so open-minded, their brains fell out. We had people <laughs> gather with us who were so methodical that if Jesus showed up, they'd make them sign a waiver and wear a name tag. We had people from <laughs> every, 
<laughs> every personality grouping, every walk of life in our home, worshiping together. And it was a beautiful mess. And a verse that I love to go to to uh, justify the mess is Proverbs 14.4. It says in Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the stalls are clean. So when you don't have any ox in the stalls, the stalls are clean. That one is not it. <laughs> and the manger is empty. That's like a really nice way of saying the manger is empty of all the ox dung. Um, the manger is clean. But with the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. Other translations say, but with the strength of an ox, or the ox brings great increase. And so, who do we think the, the oxen might be? Who's the ox? Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, we appreciate you and we welcome you. If you want to make a mess, we say yes. Yes to the mess. Um, he's the strength. He's the power. He's the promise of the Father. Jesus said you are going to receive power to become my witnesses when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. That's why they were waiting in Jerusalem in the upper room. So the Holy Spirit showed up, and was it tidy? It was not tidy. It was a mess. People speaking in tongues, the, the, the whole town thought they were drunk. I'm sure that they were going berserkers. I've seen some of y'all go berserkers, and I love it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul addresses a lot of the mess that the church dealt with in the early days. He dealt with people getting drunk on communion, <laughs> gorging themselves, you know, on the Lord's Supper before other people could get there to eat. He dealt with people loudly prophesying or speaking in tongues over each other like they were in competition. There were social messes, behavioral messes, spiritual messes, logistical messes, but it was always worth it. We had, we had a small group for a while, and this, um, this ex-drag queen male prostitute started coming. And he, had, he wanted to be with the Lord, obviously, at this point. He wouldn't have come to our home group. Um, so anyway, he's, he's come to our home group, and he starts to encounter God. And so this ex-drag queen uh, invites all of his friends. And so now our home group is... Uh, you know, 20 to 30 people, and half of it are men coming out of the homosexual lifestyle. It was amazing. And we would, we would worship, and we would hear their crazy stories. I mean, crazy stories of brokenness. Some of them were just hilarious. I mean, you had to laugh at it. I mean, just amazing stuff. And it was, it was a beautiful mess, and these young men were encountering God. We had... Um, what else did we have, babe? We had everything. We had people doing drugs in our bathroom. We had people manifesting demons on our carpet. We fed so many broken hearts. I want you guys to hear this. If you figure out how to get rid of the mess, you figured out how to get rid of the Holy Spirit. We can't facilitate and regulate ourselves to a place where we don't see things happen that make us wonder. Like, if we want the Lord, we're welcoming him to be himself, and he hasn't changed, y'all. So, um, 
You don't have to be a superhero or a spiritual giant. You don't have to be pastorally trained. You don't have to be seminary degree toting deacon. You just have to have a heart that loves and a place to do it if you want to be a small group leader. And of course, set up a room Frisco. You have to have attended for six months and have a personal meeting with me. That's just to make sure that you know, we're protecting the flock. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just anybody. Um, <clears throat> insert jokes here. Passing, passing, passing. Okay. <laughs> having a small group is not convenient it's covenant how could two words that look so similar have nothing to do with each other covenant is not convenient (laughs) you take the eye out of it there's more jokes in there vincent you work on that one (laughs) it costs something It, it you you're setting aside time you're you're pouring finances and precious moments into into people and you're opening yourself up to um, conflict and, and being hurt and and it's and it's amazing it's the only way to grow uh, to stay rightly connected to Jesus I have to be connected to a body because the head's connected to the body I can't expect to have a relationship with the head if I'm not part of the body that all of his Thoughts and power flow through. Like the, all of the New Testament was about setting up the church so that the power of God could flow to his people. It's Colossians 1.17. I have a few hard things to say. Because I know that we're living in an age where it's just so easy to isolate. Especially now that you know, technology is making, <laughs> allowing us to um, isolate and distance even more. Um, we can overcome this. We can fight for connection. Lone sheep are wolf bait. See, I have blind spots. And I need brothers <coughs> and sisters who will lovingly help me see them from time to time. And we can't do it alone. Not only that, I believe that God won't allow us to fully accomplish our purposes until we are connected to the people that he wants us to be connected to. Regardless of past wounds, when we say things like, I love God, but I hate the church, or I just love Jesus, but man, I hate Christians. That's the exact same as saying to your spouse, I love your face, but I hate your body. Wow, got really heavy. All right. There's no wise man would ever say that to his bride, okay? Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders as ones who look after your soul. Don't you guys want people who look after your soul? That means that you have to have leaders. You're literally disobeying. I keep on saying you. We, I'm not accusing anyone. We would literally be disobeying God if we didn't have leaders in our life that we were submitted to. Because they're the ones who look after our souls. Church and small groups, uh, it's, is to the kingdom what army bases are to the war. Structure protects God's children. Shepherds lead sheep to where water and green grass are. Shepherds are not the source. They just help lead people to the source. 
Everything about Upper Room, we just want to point you to the beauty of the person of Jesus. We just want to look at him. We just want to keep going from glory to glory to glory. We just want to look at him and be even more like him as we're looking at him. We're just trying to lead people to Jesus. I don't want to lead you to me. I want you to find out just how amazing he is. Um, you know, uh, going back to Acts 2, I want to just focus on the fact that outpouring happened when there was in-gathering. Outpouring happened when there was in-gathering. Like, don't forsake the, the gathering of the saints. The gathering is supposed to be participatory, spiritual and material, mystical and tangible, palpable. I mean, we, we break bread together. This is, this is awesome news. Jesus told us we can continue our faith by feasting together. Like, have a great meal and enjoy one another, enjoy fellowship, hold to the apostles' teaching, pray together, and feast your hearts out. I mean, that's amazing. And so it's meant, like, so it, is, is it the word visceral, palpable, tangible? Like, when you come to church, you're part of it. That's like Vincent got up and prophesied. The, the singers and, and musicians prophesied and sang and worshiped. And my, my wife, you know, told jokes and, like, did the, <laughs> did the announcement. She's got the, the gift of announcements from 1 Corinthians 14. And I, you know, <laughs> And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying my best to talk about how cool Jesus is. You know, we're all apart, but even beyond that, like he wants all of us to taste his body and drink his blood. It's, it's a very tangible, like we're not Gnostics. Like when, when we eat his body and drink his blood through communion, we actually believe that there is power in doing it. Like we're not Gnostics because we have the elders and we have anointing oil and we believe that when we put anointing oil on someone's head, when we stretch out our physical hands and pray for someone, that there is spiritual power released. That the things that we do in the physical affect and release things in the spirit. It's tangible because we get together and we embrace one another with a hug. Paul says, greet one another with a brotherly kiss. There's maybe two dudes that I would agree with a brotherly kiss. <laughs> but we're getting there. We're getting there, right? Okay, so <laughs> I digress. Um, it's tangible. We sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We rejoice with one another, and we are encouraged Singing to one another, embracing one another, taking the Lord's Supper. These are all things that, talk, that say you, you'll get filled again by the Holy Spirit. Filled will experience the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Communion isn't just, uh, you know, some empty ritual. Communion, originally, it, it just means it's our common union. Communion, common union. And the, the very thing that unites us is the body and blood of Jesus that we are irrevocably intertwined in him together. And when we take the, the, the bread and, and drink the blood, we are proclaiming that we are not just, not just remembering the Lord and proclaiming his return. We are actually proclaiming that we are part of one another. When I, when I think of eating the, the, the bread, the, the body of the Lord, I think that 
I'm actually ingesting like people into my life. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you into the deepest parts of me, and I'm saying your battles are my battles. Your victories are my victories. Hit me up. I will be inconvenienced to love you. But I don't want to be a church that likes to drink the blood and hates to eat the body. We love the power of the blood. The Lord, he said to me one time that if you become the body, I'll supply the blood. The hardest thing or the thing that we overlook is one another. The secret sauce is actually in the friendships. The secret sauce is actually in us becoming so united and in love that our hearts are so knit together that when he pours out his blood, it doesn't drain out of a wounded body. Amen? So we're going to take communion. I think, did we hand out communion cups while you guys are coming in? Does anybody need another communion cup? We've got a box. So what is, or who is or what is the Lord's body? Shout it out. Us. Yeah, so we are the Lord's body. So I want to do something a little bit different with communion. This is an exercise. Um, look around the room. Look people in the face. Look people in the eyes. And just, just know, I mean, you can say something if you want, but just, just know that this is the body. You're committing to one another. You're saying, like, I'm with you. Like, this is the body of the Lord. And, you, and this, this, this nasty wafer in my hand represents me taking on all of your nastiness. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, it's glorious. You know, this, this wafer that I'm eating represents me saying, you are irrevocably intertwined in my life and I'm in yours. Okay, we're brothers and sisters. We're the body of the Lord. And th so this wafer, this body that was broken for us is remembered, is put back together. Do you guys remember? Like his, his skin was ripped off and laying everywhere. His bones were out of joint. He was hanging there while his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. And he, and he was deserted by everyone, li like fig figuratively and literally, he's like pulled apart. And he's saying, remember me. Put me back together. <laughs> so Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you reconciled the world to yourself through your son on the cross. Thank you, Jesus that you love the stuffing out of us so much that you would be torn apart, broken, deserted by your friends. And as a sign of what you've done, we proclaim that we are united again in your body. And we take the wafer <laughs> as a sign of this. Go ahead and eat the, the body. Gosh, I need one.
I got one that like needs a code to open. There we go. Yeah. I was on a run uh, earlier this week, and I, the Lord, was listening to a podcast ab- about communion, and it dawned on me that when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, it wasn't until the body he broke the bread that that Jesus actually became recognizable and and sometimes I, this this like it was like I'm running and I'm like wait like I stopped my run I was like oh my gosh how did I never see this sometimes when we as a body when when other believers go through something there's there's a breaking there's something that that is awful that happens some suffering some injustice whatever life life hits them uh that's when we get to manifest who like who Christ is in us to be able to to that we can see, we can see Jesus in other people, and that's why we need each other. And when we take each other in in communion, we're saying, "I'm in it with you," in in the weird stuff, in the hard stuff. You know, in in John six verse sixty six, after he said, "You got to eat my body and drink my blood if you're if you're going to be a part of me," most people are like, "Deuces, I'm out." It says that that everybody left except for the twelve, and Peter says, "Where else are we going to go?" When he when he when he brings you you gotta you gotta be a cannibal to be a Christian, they they they're like we're in. I don't get it, but I'm in. And so, as you're taking it, realize that that you're you're saying yes to the body. And when it gets weird and when it gets hard, that's when Jesus actually manifests the most, and we can actually be him for each other. So good, Vincent. So so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. It poured out power of the new covenant. <laughs> Thank you that no matter what physical blood type we might be on earth, in the spirit realm, we are type J. We're all type J blood now. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the remission of sins and the power to walk in freedom. Whoo! We remember you. We take your blood. Father, in doing this, we ask that you would supernaturally empower us to walk free from sickness, that you would release healing into our mortal frames as that blood and body hits our tummy. Lord, that you would strengthen us, reinvigorate us, that we would be uh, tangibly experiencing your goodness, that you would increase those dreams and visions and encounters with you. God, we just love your presence so much. We ask that you continue to bless this church and this body. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, one other thing. If you want to start a home group, email Liz Lucked. It's elucked at uroom.org if you're interested in starting a small group. Love you guys.